and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 98, recorded on March 24th, 2019. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to be connected with you. It's a bit of a gaming week, lots of big announcements, and we've pulled out a few of the Linux-related ones for you. Let's start with the big service that's been announced that runs on Linux. Yes, yeah, Stadia from Google, which is their cloud gaming service, which was announced to a lot of fanfare and a lot of publicity, but we're pretty scant on details, apart from the fact that it's running Linux on the back end, and it's heavily tied into YouTube, and you don't really need a powerful client machine at all because it's all happening on the server end. During the announcement, Google even talked about using a Chromecast as a, as a possible end device paired with their custom controller that also connects directly to the cloud and will have a Google Assistant microphone. Now, they, they didn't show this on stage, but they claimed that you could be playing a game and you could ask the Google Assistant for help. Yeah, and then supposedly a YouTube video pops up with uh, how to do that little bit of the level or whatever. But that microphone, yeah, I don't think I'll be buying one of these controllers somehow. <laughs> I, I love that they've they've managed to work a microphone into everything. Although it's, it's getting more and more common. My NVIDIA Shield has a microphone in it as well. Because uh, everybody wants to search by voice, I guess. I've never really gotten that because the living room is often a very loud environment. Mm. Uh, one other interesting kind of thing that they've tied in with this is even for systems that don't support the full, like, 4K 60 frames per second they're claiming, maybe you're on a device connected to a 1080p display, when you do a capture, which this controller will have a dedicated capture button, when you do this uh, capture, it's captured on the remote side in full 4K 60 frames a second resolution and then can post that, theoretically, to YouTube in full resolution, even if the version you're playing is just the 1080p version. Yeah, it's all very promising technically. I'm very skeptical about this. I suppose we'll get on to why it's good for Linux ultimately, but... I don't think this is going to be very long-lived somehow. There's been a lot of attempts at this cloud gaming thing. And okay, Google have got the resources to burn like most companies don't. But ultimately, it's not going to be very good, is it? I mean, yeah, okay, they're making all these promises about low latency and everything. But you need at least 25 megabits per second down, which, okay, it's not a problem for me. It's not a problem for you. But for most people in America... They just don't have 25 down. And if they do, it's pretty sketchy. And with all this net neutrality stuff, means that it's likely that it'll end up getting throttled. And I just don't see it taking off long term somehow. Yeah, not to mention if you're on mobile, the latency of a mobile network will probably render this unplayable. There are definitely issues. However, Google has quite the infrastructure, and they, in the announcement, they dropped a number like 7,500 edge nodes that are close to players to provide the ultimate gaming performance. So they've, they've thought about this problem from a technical standpoint, and I kind of have this sense that it's a bit like the early days of YouTube. Early days of YouTube, nobody had the bandwidth to watch a YouTube video without it buffering. It played like hell. It was so bad that Google set up this page where it would try to help you diagnose where your buffering issues were coming from. And these days, I never have a problem with YouTube, even on the worst kind of connections. These things get solved over time. And this could be Google's attempt to build a YouTube for gaming. And I think it's no coincidence that they're tying it in very closely with YouTube. In, in a pretty brilliant way, you're sitting there watching a game trailer for, say, Assassin's Creed or, or whatever it might be, and they've got a Play Now button. 
And if you already subscribe, maybe you've, maybe you're part of this premium package that includes YouTube and Google Play Music and this gaming service. You click that one button, and they claim in some in, in some instances, in five seconds the game's up and running. The other thing that's kind of crazy is you'll be able to share in-state links that load the game right at a specific place, like you can with a ROM where you pause the emulator and then you can resume right at that save state. You'll be able to send save state links if the game is written for the platform. Yeah, again, that's pretty impressive. And I remember when you guys talked about Google Cloud on TechSnap, the big standout feature of it is that the various data centers that they have communicate directly with each other, not over the public internet. And so that means that in theory, you're going to get way better performance than these competitors who have tried and failed at this. So I, I think if anyone can do it, Google can, but I just don't think that anyone can do it somehow. But I think that they'll probably give it a go for a couple of years, and in that couple of years, it's going to be great for Linux gaming because this thing's running on Linux, right? So they're going to push forward the whole Linux gaming situation and development, and everyone is potentially going to benefit from the work that they do there. This is an area where we need like a lot more details. Up on stage, big graphic, Linux, Vulkan. If you want to write your game to our platform, target it for Linux and use Vulkan. Wow, my mind was blown when I saw that because think about the possibilities there, right? Because then it really is just a few more steps to publish it online, put it in Steam, whatever it might be. And there are advantages to specifically writing to Google's platform that could never be delivered in a console or in a desktop PC. And they don't go into a lot of details, but they say there is the ability to access more GPUs, perhaps lots of GPUs, and specific systems that are designed to render physics and the ability to place thousands of cameras in various different places inside the game. You can also reskin game objects in real time with machine-generated images if you write for their platform. So there are a lot of advantages to targeting Stadia if the platform does get some traction. I'm not as convinced they're going to kill this one quickly. They have been building to this with a beta now for a little while, laying the foundation of a data center network of these devices. They've hired on a big shot VP to run it. I I feel like this is something they've been investing in in the background for years now. So if they kill this thing, it's going to be quite a while before they do because of just the massive investment. Well, should we talk about this on Google Plus with each other, or Allo, or Buzz, or <laughs> I actually have, Wave? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I have a great, great Wave doc going with real-time <laughs> editing. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, just look at killedbygoogle.com for the list, the long, long list of services that they've killed and hardware and stuff like that. I, I just find it very difficult to invest in a service that comes from Google, unless it's one of their real core platforms like Gmail and Search. Yeah, and there's also the privacy implications here. There is a a lot of baggage tied up when you sign up for another Google service. When you commit yourself further to the Google ecosystem, there is a price to pay in a sense. It's it's not a monetary price, but there is a price. And uh, that, unfortunately, is not so easily solvable. It's something that everybody has to make their own decision on. Well, something that we've been talking about kind of off-air is this idea of what it takes for certain areas of Linux to be pushed forward. And it's basically always money. And that's why development tools are amazing on Linux, because they make people money. 
And maybe this could be what makes gaming get pushed forward because there's money to be made suddenly gaming on Linux. Yeah, we've just turned gaming into a server-side application. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which is really Linux's sweet spot. And in a way, it, it could mean that you're playing a Linux game on a Linux box, but it's streamed to that Linux box, you know? So it's it's sort of it sort of opens up a lot more games to Linux users. And it's using Linux to render that game, but it's coming back to you in a proprietary video stream that's probably wrapped up in DRM. So there's there's pluses and minuses. It means you can game without crazy graphics, and you could use free open source drivers for your entire machine. It also means you're probably getting an H.264 DRM'd video stream or something like it. Yeah, maybe. But I'm just really hoping that all this Vulkan backend stuff that they're going to be working on to make this even better will filter down to the rest of us and those of us who want to play games locally and not connect to the cloud will benefit from it but it it is just too early to say but i'm crossing my fingers on it i'm going to remain optimistic well if google running linux games on servers doesn't save linux gaming then maybe open xr will or at least virtual reality that's using linux initially it's kind of complicated well as with any new standard we all benefit when it's open And this week, we learned about OpenXR, which is a new standard from Kronos, which is totally open and pulls together, potentially at least, all AR and VR headsets and gives developers one thing to target rather than all these fragmented platforms. Right. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the early days of getting 3D games working on computers where you had all these different video cards and standards, and then the industry kind of coalesced around a couple of standards. This is going to be one of those. Like Joe said, it's from the Kronos Group, which is the folks behind Vulkan, and that's been pretty successful. And there's already an open-source Linux tie-in to this. So as a developer, you need a way to try out this OpenXR runtime and make sure that you're communicating with the devices. Because part of what OpenXR does is it, it abstracts the controllers. So instead of saying, right controller, click, you can say, grab item. Things like that. But you need a way to program for that. So the folks at Collabra have developed Monado, which is a fully open source, open XR runtime on Linux. So that's the Linux tie-in here is gaming developers will be building Linux boxes, running this runtime to develop for this new standard, which is supposedly going to unify all the VR headsets. And some big names are in on it, to be fair. Microsoft being one of the bigger ones and actually is actively promoting it on their Twitter. But HTC, a lot of the mobile vendors that are trying to make phone VR and Valve, Unity's in there. So it's it's got some industry support. It could actually take off, plus you figure with the Kronos folks behind it, it's got a good shot. Maybe finally VR will be the big hit, Joe. Well, surprise, surprise, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical about whether it will take off. But I think if it has any chance of taking off, this is how it will happen. You need to have that open standard to attract the developers and therefore get the users. And although only a couple of headsets are supported right now, the idea and the hope is that new ones that come out will be supported by this and even existing ones will eventually be supported. So as I said, if there's any chance of it happening, this is it. But I'm still somewhat skeptical. I'm half skeptical. You see, I don't think it's necessarily going to mean much for the end users, uh, at least Linux end users. But I do think there's a really interesting similarity between the Google announcements and this Kronos Group announcement. And the 
intrinsic message in both of those announcements to the developers is go use Linux. If you want to build for our platform, go use Linux. If you want to start building now for this new open standard for VR, go use Linux. And I think it underscores why we need to have on the Linux side the best desktop for developers out there, out of any operating system. Better than Mac OS, better than Windows, and I think we're pretty much there, but there's some rough edges, and there's probably going to be more and more different use cases as more huge companies and groups say, go use Linux. So it's going to be a process, but that particular theme between these two announcements, I'm kind of excited about, because developers are a great crowd, and the more of them that come over to Linux, I think the stronger, the better our desktop will be. And I think they're also a good group to help us work out some of those rough edges that might still exist. So you're saying that we need to have a great Linux desktop, a great experience for developers. Well, I can do you one better than that. I can do you 10 better than that. We've got 10 of them. You can have Plasma, you can have Gnome, XFCE for you, desktops for all the developers. <laughs> yeah, talk about fragmentation, but I don't know, it's all choice and stuff. But uh, I think realistically, Gnome is like the main one, isn't it? If you look at the main distros. So, yeah. and that is improving. Um, as we've talked about recently, the latest release of that is just massively improved. And the latest release of Ubuntu that we're getting in a few weeks is going to have tons of performance improvements. So hopefully, as these devs get attracted over to the platform, they will have a first-class experience and will grow the community. There's another story this week that I thought was a bit interesting, and it's it's out of Intel. They're working on a driver for a graphics card that we likely would never run, but massive, like, super 500, top 100 computers will run. And I I think it's interesting watching how they are working upstream to integrate this driver into the Linux source code. Yeah, this is the new Intel XE graphics, I think that's how you say it, which don't actually exist yet, right? We've kind of been hearing about this for a long time, their discrete graphics cards. And it looks as if there's going to be a a distinction between the kind of GPUs that go in these supercomputers versus the PCIe cards that we're going to get. But it is interesting to see that they are very much concentrating on Linux. I mean, I suppose they'd have to, really. And Intel have got a reasonably good track record when it comes to drivers, although not necessarily with, with updating them, but they seem to be getting better with that. But it looks as if we're going to get a serious third player in the GPU market, which has got to be good for everyone. Yeah, I mean, these rumors suggest the XE graphics will have discrete memory for the GPUs, so no longer integrated memory, which would be a big performance boost. And if Intel is building these to go after the supercomputer market, they're really building these to compete with NVIDIA because NVIDIA is competing very strong there right now. Uh, And that's one of the reasons they've been dedicated to the Linux driver. And this could be good for everybody. A little bit of competition might make everybody's drivers a little bit better. Well, I'm really hoping that Intel decides to stand out against NVIDIA with these XE GPUs by actually having totally free software drivers that work really, really well and we don't need to have blobs. I'm fairly hopeful for that because it would be a real competitive advantage and would encourage people to buy these cards, which are obviously new to the market. So fingers crossed that this is excellent news for Linux. The KDE Connect project got some bad news from Google this week, and then later on got some good news. It started out with the project being removed from the Google Play Store for violating their new policy on apps that access your SMS messages. 
That was pretty upsetting. Of course, everybody said, hey, F-Droid's a thing. <laughs> it's still an F-Droid, everybody. And so F-Droid, I think, picked up a few new users from the bad news. <laughs> yeah, that was the silver lining of this. But the reality is that almost everybody uses the Play Store to install apps because if you want to use F-Droid, you have to go and allow untrusted sources and unknown sources. And that's quite scary for a lot of users. So it's good that it only took a couple of days and it's back in the Play Store. It did briefly reappear with the SMS functionality taken out of it, which is a big part of KDE Connect. So it was good to see that they sorted things out and now it's back up on the Play Store, fully functional. I completely agree. And for some context, Google did warn developers back on October 8th, 2018, that as part of their developer policy updates that were impending, they would be limiting what apps were allowed to access your SMS. Essentially, if it wasn't your default SMS application, it had to have a damn good reason, and they had to get permission from Google to get access to your SMS to make it more in line with how iOS works after certain companies like Facebook were found just whole hog reading your SMS messages and sending them back up to servers. Yeah, ultimately, Google are trying to do the right thing here because security has been a bit lax on Android, specifically compared with iOS. So you can understand why they're trying to do this, but it just seems like they've been a bit heavy-handed with it and it's not worked out exactly how they wanted it to. And it's kind of bad publicity for them when you've got a great free software project like KDE having issues with them. Right. It's um it was a very popular Twitter thread about it and it's kind of really shown Google in a bit of a bad light when I think they were trying to do a good thing, really. Yeah, and but I think that led to Google noticing it a little bit quicker than they might have for the average bear. And he isn't the only developer that's run into these issues. There's been other developers that have been complaining about this. So I think Google is a little more incentivized to respond quickly right now. I mean they got a lot on their plate, Joe. They do have a lot on their plate, specifically with the EU, who have forced them into doing a browser choice on Android. So uh, this seems a bit familiar, doesn't it? More and more these days, Google reminds me of an old, younger Microsoft. Now, Google puts it on their blog, we're going to do more to ensure that Android phone owners know about the wide choice of browser and search engines available to download on their phones. (laughs) This will involve asking users of existing and new Android devices in Europe which browser and search apps they'd like to use. It's funny how Google tried to spin it as like a really good thing for the consumer and everything, but it doesn't take much to hear the gritted teeth through which they wrote that. And the fact that it's only in the EU means they were obviously forced to do it. And I don't know why they're pretending otherwise, really. Well, at this point, they're probably just trying to avoid more fines. In fact, I believe the European Commission just fined them another $1.49 billion for ad market monopoly practices. In fact, if you look at Google's numbers now, they're paying more in European Commission fines than they are taxes. Yeah, so this is starting to be more than pocket change to them. I mean, obviously, they pay as little tax as possible, like all the giant corporations. But still, this must be really starting to register with them now, that they just can't get away with this stuff. And the EU and the European Commission are just not going to stand for monopolistic practices. I mean, it does seem a bit hypocritical to not force Apple to have a browser choice because you buy an iPhone and that's got Safari, right? I mean, okay, fair enough, their business model isn't based on your search history and advertising and everything, but it's still somewhat hypocritical. 
It really does seem, though, to be like the trifecta that really gets them. It's the it's the fact that it's their platform that they're charging OEMs for. It's their browser, and they're the leader in online advertising slash search. And those things seem to be what keep getting them on the radar. And they did some investigations showing that in March of 2009, Google began rolling out these exclusive contracts and clauses for premium placement of Google Ads. They cite that as an example of Google pressing competitors down on the page into less valuable space. They say that in 2006, Google had exclusive clauses in certain contracts for providing search advertising to publishers, and they had to only use Google search. And they say that's another example where Google prevented competitors from coming in and having a fair shot, and that they were able to leverage their market position to get these contracts and these exclusive agreements or terms of service. You combine that with their 80% or whatever it is, Android market share, and now Chrome's dominance and Google search's dominance, I think I could see their case here. I don't know if I really feel like Google did anything evil to get in these positions. I think they've made pretty competitive products and the market has responded, or they made it at least free in some cases, and the market responded to that. And now that Google's made it to the top, it it kind of feels like they're getting smacked down and getting charged and nickel and dimed. But of course, that's just my Yankee capitalism perspective. Well, that's the thing about capitalism, right? It is their duty to their shareholders to make as much money as they possibly can. They're sort of legally obliged to do so. And so it's a very fine line that they have to tread here between making as much money as they can by essentially being anti-competitive with not getting slapped with huge fines, which impact their bottom line. They are large fines, you're right, um, but they're doing fine. I mean, you're talking You're talking. this last one was $1 billion. Uh, in 2017, it was $5.1 billion. Uh, it looks like Google is projecting another $50 million they have set aside for 2019. They now just have this broken out in their accounting. <laughs> they have these, they do, yeah, they just have these commission fines broken out as part of their business operating costs. But they are a rich company. Um, I believe uh, they had an annual revenue last year of $136.8 billion. So $5 billion hurts for sure, and another billion, that's not great, but they're doing okay. Yeah, so the rest of us have like, you know, gas money, internet, you know, electricity, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> they've got they've got <laughs> European Commission fines. That's budgeted out. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the life of these companies, I guess. It's uh it's hard when, you know, you're doing business in these multiple domains now and they're getting into more like with video streaming and now game streaming. They're essentially becoming a they're becoming a gaming company. They're already a television company. Uh, And Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and others are all trying to do the same thing. So these European commissioners are going to be busy for a long time. Yeah, it's just a shame that I won't be seeing any of that money in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sore subject, I know. Well, this has been a pretty gaming-heavy week because of the big gaming expo that just wrapped up. But every single week we are covering Linux and open source news right here on Linux Action News. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. Our Linux Fest Northwest community is growing. We have a Telegram group set up, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash linuxfest. We're going to give away some retro stickers. I say retro because pretty soon you're going to see some slick new logos rolling out for our Jupiter Broadcasting shows. So we figured we might as well do something with the stickers, right? So we're going to give them away. jupiterbroadcasting.com slash linuxfest if you want to join that thread and uh, contribute positively to the conversation. And uh, maybe we'll use it for future fests as well. 
We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Charles Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Thank you.